Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Speaking of the Arts. Today's focus is on PR and marketing. If you're interested in learning more about how artists work with PR companies and how your venue can benefit from doing so in order to boost marketing efforts, this is the episode for you. My guest today is Jordy Freed. Prior to joining Gray Advertising, Jordy served as director of marketing and publicity for the Blue Note Entertainment Group in New York City. The Blue Note Entertainment Group owns the legendary Blue Note Jazz Clubs, B.B. King's Blues Club, and the Highline Ballroom, among others. Here, Jordy directed worldwide corporate communications and marketing functions for the brand and its initiatives, including strategic marketing and PR launches for various new business ventures, such as the company's expansion to China and Hawaii, a new New York City venue, and three new divisions. Jordy was also responsible for promoting shows featuring talent such as Aretha Franklin, Miss Lauren Hill, Chris Bodie, Kenny G, Michael McDonald, Natalie Cole, Reggie Watts, Bobby McFerrin, and Questlove. Prior to the Blue Note Entertainment Group, Jordy served as Director of Marketing and Operations at DL Media, a prestigious boutique national music publicity firm based in Philadelphia. His clients here included Sony Masterworks, DECA MRC, Nonesuch Records, Concord Music Group, the Detroit Jazz Festival, and the Panama Jazz Festival, among others. Over the years, Jordy's positions at Blue Note and DL Media have afforded him the opportunity to develop a wide range of deep media relationships, including 60 Minutes, NBC Nightly News, and BBC World News, among many other high-profile national and international outlets. Jordy, thanks for being on today. It's so great to have you here. Thanks, Mike. Really looking forward to it. Likewise, likewise. You know, Jordy, you have a, a lot of experience, um, ranging from working with independent artists to international headliners, as well as world-class venues and festivals. I, I, I can't wait to dive into all of this, but let's just start with the very basic information for those listening. Um, what exactly is PR, and, and, and how do you define it? Well, PR, in the broader sense, is engagement with the general public uh, through various media platforms. Uh, so that traditionally, in terms of my background, first and foremost, it's, it's really media relations. So that's interfacing with uh, journalists, producers, writers, uh, on-air personalities at uh, media outlets throughout the country and throughout the world. Uh, that is a, a core component of what public relations is. Uh, another component is broader awareness uh, as it relates to coming up with stunts or activations or things that drive uh, broader awareness and engagement with the audience that you're trying to reach. Uh, you know, if you're if you come up with an interesting idea to you know promote a new uh, hat throughout New York City and you dispatch a street team on the ground to, you know, canvas a particular area with that hat, uh, that could be a form of PR to a certain degree. Uh, but but for the purposes of, of this conversation, let's focus PR on media relations. PR and media relations. You know, I was thinking the, the terms PR and then marketing seem to be used interchangeably a lot in the music industry. There, there's definitely some clear differences. You know, in your experience, what, how do you sort of see the two of those as separate entities, or do you? 
Well, they're definitely separate entities. And in fact, PR is under the marketing umbrella. Uh, marketing houses PR. PR is a component of marketing. When you're marketing, you are trying to uh, entice uh, reaction from a particular audience to to do something or feel something or think something about what you're trying to sell. You're trying to persuade and change minds, uh, often whether it's uh, you know trying to sell a particular product, get them to go to a show, buy an album, um, or feel a certain way or think a certain way about a public figure uh, like a musician. Um, and PR is a component of marketing. And, and like we just talked about, in this particular case, you look at PR as going through the media to try and uh, generate that, that, that call to action, uh, whether it's the album sale or ticket purchase or uh, the way people think about a particular subject that you're trying to push. Um, so yeah, p- marketing is really the overall umbrella uh, for promotional efforts. I mean, under marketing, you you have digital advertising, you have traditional advertising, you have uh, guerrilla marketing in terms of street teams, you have, um, I mean, it's across the board. So PR is definitely one component of that. Um, I guess the further distinction, you know, if you look at advertising, for example, under marketing, people might say, well, what's the difference between advertising and PR? Uh, PR is earned media, meaning in most cases, you're not paying for that media. Uh, if you place an ad, you're, there's an exchange of currency to take over certain real estate, whether it's a, a banner on a website or, or a physical space in a magazine. Uh, with PR, you are getting that content on that platform and in that medium uh, without paying because you've persuaded uh, a journalist or a gatekeeper to uh, cover that for free as editorial content. Um, so that, that's how I would distinguish between the two. Yeah, that, no, that's, that's really great. That's very clear. And in context with what we're going to be talking about, it makes perfect sense, um, certainly for the, in terms of the importance of why an artist or a venue or a festival or any other musical event would behoove themselves to really get a grasp on PR. That's why I wanted to start with all that. Can you describe sort of a typical PR campaign for an album release? What are the various components that are involved with something like that? Sure, I could walk you through the step-by-step, no problem. Uh, First thing that you would do, and and listen, it obviously depends on the genre to a certain degree, depends on the objective, you know, obviously, if you're marketing a pop album versus a jazz album, there are going to be some differences in terms of rollout. Um, you know, obviously, if you look at uh, a band like Daft Punk, you know, their rollout uh, is not a conventional their, – their rollout for their, their recent album a few years ago uh, was not a conventional rollout by any means. Um, but if we're just talking about, you know, your traditional conventional jazz album – you know, here's a general timeline. Um, usually you would start at least three months in advance. Um, that's the most ideal time frame. Media outlets need lead time. Uh, you need lead time as well um, because a certain component of timing to launch an album 
you know, you, you need tour dates in place. Uh, you need s- certain other components in place to support that. And, you know, y- you need lead time to, to promote all of those components. Uh, so you, you would normally start about three months in advance or so um, conventionally. Uh, the first thing you would do is you would contact uh, a professional writer to basically ghostwrite a bio. Uh, this bio would basically be similar to if the journalist uh, had an assignment with a media outlet and was interviewing you for a feature in a magazine. You know, they would ask you some things about projects, your background. They would piece it together in an overall bio. And this would basically be about a thousand word piece uh, focused on you and your project uh, with certain great pull quotes, etc. Um, that would be repurposed as a press release. So, you know, around that same time, you would format it, you would come up with a, a great headline, you would have your album art, and you would take this and blast it out to your core targets in the media, uh, giving them plenty of lead time. You would get responses uh, from media that were interested. Uh, Obviously, depending on the project that you're promoting, there's going to be various degrees of interest. Uh, And then what you would do, you would take those responses and put them in an Excel And then you would look at who else you want to reach out to. So if you want to reach out to certain contacts at NPR, you would put them on the Excel. If you want to reach certain contacts at Downbeat or Jazz Times or uh, Time Magazine, you would put all of these people on the Excel. And this Excel would be a mailing list. And you would send each person on the Excel your album, and the press release and any other materials you felt was relevant, uh, you would, after a week or so, you would follow up and start to begin meaningful conversations um, with those media members. That's traditionally what a publicist will do. I mean, obviously, if you're an independent artist, you know, what I just said, that's a lot of infrastructure, and it's it's a lot of know-how to a certain degree. Um, you know, you need to have access to uh, names of media, email addresses, mailing lists. Um, so that isn't necessarily, you know, the most logical DIY approach for you know an independent artist. But you know, that's just to give you some context for what PR professionals promoting music generally do uh overall now there are other components to this too that are modified based on you know technological advances um you know sending media members uh albums can be viewed archaically to a certain degree um you know you're shifting more and more towards sending people links to download music um you know the the amount of physical products getting cut down um but overall, if you're looking at it like in very con- conventional, traditional ways, that's what a typical album campaign looks like for the most part. Right. You know, it's it's interesting thinking about the sort of like the sheer leverage that, and I'm going to use a very extreme example here, but take a, a pop star, for example, or I'm thinking about a couple of years ago, Again, it's an extreme example, but when 
you know, Jay-Z released the Magna Carta, Holy Grail. One of the interesting things about that release uh, was the way he leveraged, um, to my knowledge, I don't think anybody had done this before, but his relationship with Samsung, basically giving away anybody who had, I think, that particular phone, uh, the album. <laughs> yeah, it was programmed on the phone. Uh, right. It was a, it was a licensing where they they did a, a pre-release license where the official license was you know where the official release was worldwide on a particular date, and then they gave a, a pre-release exclusive license uh, where it was programmed on all Samsung phones, uh, and that is an interesting delivery. System, you know, delivery <laughs> method to to get uh, that particular product out in the market. You know. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, to think about a couple of days before the official street or on sale date, suddenly you have a million copies. I guess you could call them. You could say that they were sold. <laughs> you know, they count as uh, not physical copies, but the album was pushed that way. Or but, another example. In, in a similar fashion is what Apple did with U2 about a year or so ago, sure. where you know they put the album in everyone's iTunes library. Right. Some people, some people really like that. Some people didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, what I described is not necessarily. I mean, it, it's not the. Uh, writ of law, I guess, in terms right. of what is done for every out. I mean, that's a very traditional definition for, you know, setting up an album. Um, you know, there are so many different factors that come into play, uh, especially digitally, and so many new ways to package content and messaging out there ahead of time. Um, but that's like a really nuts and bolts you know that's the concept, and you can swap and exchange different parts. You know, mm-hmm. mailing list for you know uh, e-delivery of, of a download to media members, etc. Uh, and that's just media relations. I mean, that's only one component. You know, and that's pre-release to a certain degree. Obviously, post-release. You know, that album campaign. There's going to be a strong component. You know, for for touring, there's going to be a, a marketing and publicity support for that tour uh, across the board. Going into uh, tour markets, uh, engaging with media, uh, dealing with any digital advertising to support what the venues are doing uh, via uh, social networking. Uh, you're talking about sometimes grassroots marketing to certain communities. You know, if you're trying to reach students, you know, really getting in there and getting grassroots, you know, contacting all of the core schools in those markets, you know, and trying to tap into the student body population, you know, to, to get the student body awareness out there, get them to the shows. So, I mean, it. there's so many components to it, um, but that's the overall idea, you know, behind a PR campaign for an album. Right. So, if all right, so let me ask you this: if if I was an artist and I've got an album coming out, and I was thinking about hiring a PR firm, what are some of the most important questions I could ask you just to sort of gauge if this would be a good fit or not? First and foremost, timing. Nine times out of ten, independent artists that call publicists, they call 
three weeks before the, the the album's supposed to come out. Now, we all know that album release dates don't mean what they used to, uh, because the traditional sense of a release date, you know, or a street date, as it used to be called, um, was really based on when it was going to be available in retail stores. Physically you know? in the stores, right? Yeah, physically in the stores. Those don't exist anymore, obviously. Um you know, when they did exist, they were called street date because there were lines down the street for certain products. You know, um, it's different. So when you're talking about, you know, online delivery, to a certain degree, it's arbitrary. You know, I mean, the release date is when it's available online, you know. Um, but... Basically, but but first and foremost, though, I mean, if you're if if you're a smaller artist, some of the more traditional components of promoting an album are going to come more into play than if you're a larger artist and you know you're operating uh, with a label and a, a much larger marketing budget and touring. You know, that's when you know it gets a little bit different in terms of your rollout. But I mean, timing is a big factor. Um, whether or not there are tour dates, you know, tour dates are huge. Uh, if you are an unknown artist, it's very challenging. Uh, obviously, if you're an unknown artist, it is going to be challenging to get performance opportunities. But the the issue is because media is so limited to a certain degree in the year 2015 and beyond, um, one of the best ways to really get and drive awareness for for an artist or a project is in local markets. Uh, local media is very, very strong. Regional media is very, very strong. And it's much easier to place stories uh, because media is very interested in hyper-local. So if you're an artist performing in a secondary market, uh, it's much easier to get a feature in the newspaper there you know, then if you have no tour dates and, you know, you're trying to get national coverage and you're fighting for everyone. So tour dates are huge. Uh, Those are really the first two big items. But most importantly, uh, expectations. That's really one of the biggest things. Um, You know, nine times out of ten, because PR is such a specialized field to a certain degree, uh, people that don't necessarily work in PR have a hard time understanding the implications of the trade. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times there have been certain artists that, you know, asked, can I get on the Oprah Winfrey show, you know, um, when Oprah was still around. Um, it's almost impossible, you know, and you need to be realistic in terms of your expectations. Um some people are, some people aren't. Um, but really, you know, if you have reasonable expectations, um, you know, I'm one of the biggest th- one of the biggest things I would ask a publicist would be based on where I'm at, what would be the core goals, you know, for a campaign, you know, based on where I'm at in my career. Like, if we had to name two to three things that would make the most difference that are reasonable, 
the key is reasonable and attainable and, you know, reasonable expectation. Uh, what, what would those goals be and how do we achieve them? Um, because really when it comes down to it, because everyone's situation is different and every project's different and every artist is different, uh, every campaign, every client's different, um, you know, you have to evaluate it on a case by case. Um, so it's really the, the biggest question is, um, you know, what, what are the core goals and can you help me achieve those core goals? You know, that's great. No, that's, that's, that's really great. Very, very clear cut. You've meant, you've mentioned a few times sort of the um, importance of, of touring and how that relates to uh, a potential release. How do you approach PR for a client who is only interested maybe in hiring you for promoting a, a tour or a series of shows uh, as compared to working a record release? But what's sort of the distinction there and how you would work that angle? Well, I mean, a record release is a longer haul, obviously. I mean, they say that in in the traditional sense, your album release cycle is 12 to 18 months. Uh, that's significantly, I mean, that that's how they used to define it. And even several years ago, for artists that I worked with that had larger, more prominent releases, that was a, a fairly accurate uh, re- release cycle. It's not really accurate anymore. Everything's much shorter. But if you're comparing uh, an album campaign to a tour, I mean, obviously... You were talking about, uh, you know, a pseudo marathon versus a real sprint. You know, tours. I mean, if you, you're, unless you're, you know, a major name, touring, you know, 150 dates throughout the year. Um, you know, the majority of tours they're concentrated in certain periods. Uh, so it's 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 a sprint. Um, if anything, I would say generally there is a higher uh, expectation and reasonable expectation to deliver results um, because the nature of generating awareness and promotion and, and PR for a tour is much more manageable uh, than, you know, working a national campaign where it's it's broadly expanded, et cetera. Um, in terms of structure, you would generally be talking about uh, a shorter arrangement uh, usually publicists operate on retainers. Uh, so you would look at a shorter retainer. Uh, the cost would be less. Um, I think you would probably get more return on your investment, most likely. Um, because like I said, uh, the, the outreach, you know, there's a greater reasonable expectation to garner results. Uh, and if you're spending less and getting more results, you're, you're, return on investment is greater. Um, so. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I, I'm glad you talked a little bit about that. Um, a lot of people listening are on the venue side of things. We have a lot of presenters that listen to this podcast. Can you talk a little bit about your experience doing PR uh, for, for some of the major festivals I mentioned in the intro, such as, we could use the Detroit Jazz Festival as an example. What are the main components involved with something like that that has so many moving parts? In terms of components, meaning? Well, I mean, I'm just, you know, we, you've given some really great examples of the life cycle of an album release for PR. We've talked about 
the artist pers- um, an artist that's touring. But I'm just kind of curious how you approach PR for an actual a, a big event. I see. I see. <laughs> Seems like it's such a different animal. It's really. Ca- I mean, that. I mean, so we talked about albums. We talked about touring. Well, there are certain factors that come into play with those, different factors that come into play with those. And depending on the artist, depending on the client, the campaign, it's going to vary. But there's a core structure uh, that carries over to a certain degree with festivals. But I'd say the there's a much greater difference um, from event to event. Because each festival has its own identity uh, and and role in that community. I mean, first and foremost, you need to look at where the festival is. Um, you know, the Newport Jazz Festival is very different from the, the Detroit Jazz Festival. One is uh, in an, uh, you know an urban market, uh, Detroit. It's it's on city streets. The other is right by the water. Uh, in Newport, a small town, and you're going to attract different demographics. Um, you know, and they, you know, they vary in terms of duration. They vary in terms of structure of stages. Um, they vary in terms of history. Obviously, I'm just talking about comparing Newport versus Detroit. But uh, the point I'm making is every festival is different. Uh, you look at the Portland Jazz Festival. Uh, it's an indoor festival in the winter. Very different how you approach that festival versus, you know, uh, the Detroit Jazz Festival, which is uh, a holiday weekend, largest free jazz festival in the world festival. So the the big component, first and foremost, is, you know, where is it? What kind of structure does it have? Um, you know, what does it mean to the city? What does it mean historically? And then from there, you can really get a little bit more creative in terms of tapping into communities and areas that you want to to reach from a marketing standpoint. Um, but, that, that, you know, from working all these different festivals, that's really the biggest thing. I mean, obviously, most recently, I I worked the Blue Note Jazz Festival in New York for several years, which is a month-long jazz festival in, in June. And even that festival, very different from every like every other festival I've worked. Um, e- each festival I've worked has been so unique and different in its own way. Um, so it's really kind of looking at the structure of, of the event you're looking, you know, you're you're working in, and figuring out the needs based on, you know, all of those other factors. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you worked really hard at one point uh, when with the Blue Note Jazz Festival um, to do PR for a huge show. Uh, and that was Aretha Franklin at Radio City Music Hall. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Two nights. Two nights. How yeah. did, what are some things that stand out in your mind about that experience? Just that's sort of an open-ended question. But how? What did you learn from doing that? First of all, it's definitely one of the highlights of my career for sure. Um, you know, to watch Soundcheck, to advance our presence um, as it relates to activating the Blue Note brand in Radio City Music Hall, um, to meet her son, to meet, 
you know, Al Sharpton, Clive Davis, to and just to kind of see how she worked. It was in, it was an incredible experience. Really, you know, it gives you context for you know why those artists are great. Really great artists and it's it's really based on showmanship. First and foremost, I mean they approach their craft and their engagement as a real show. You know, they they understand the nuances deeper than you know just playing music, you know, or reading the the sheet music or you know uh, listening to the interplay during a solo. I mean, these are really the stark differences you're talking about. Artists that are delivering real choreographed shows. And it also carries over to the preparation. I mean, those rehearsals are very, very serious. You know, um, super meticulous, super detail-oriented, um, very rehearsed. Um, and What's interesting, you know, if you see the show, the I went both nights, obviously. You see the show the first night. You see the show the second night. Not a whole lot changes to a certain degree. Now, obviously, artists on that level, listen, you're going to have uh, variation. I mean, you know, you read it in the news all the time that, you know, certain uh, major rock stars or pop stars, they changed their sets to a certain degree. Um, but there's, there's consistency. Um, and that, that's really one of the biggest things that I, that I took away from that experience. Just that sort of very disciplined, very consistent approach. Yeah. 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 Because they're, they are the best in the world. And, you know, they're they're a major brand, and what they do on stage reflects their brand. And they, you know, you you that I mean, they're operating almost in the way that a major corporation would, in terms of everything being down to a T. You know, you're delivering uh, highly highly professional um, experience for the people that are paying to come see your show. That's so great. I, one of the things I was curious about, and you basically just answered it, was thinking about the difference between somebody like Aretha Franklin, her team, your experience working with her as compared to working with a client who's relatively unknown. It, it's interesting to think about what you might have observed in terms of sort of the attitude and confidence and, and ultimately the expectations of someone like her um, you know, versus, again, versus someone just kind of starting out. The comparison of to that of a corporation, that really does make sense. It's interesting to think about it that way. Yeah, if if a major corporation is going to release an advertisement, you know, on a new product, will that advertisement have any, uh, will it look unprofessional? No, it's going to look very professional. It's going to feel like it belongs in society to a certain degree. Um, you know, obviously Aretha Franklin and and musicians in general aren't robots. They're not necessarily delivering super formulaic and calculated um, performances. I mean, certain pop stars do. There's all. I mean, but even in those situations, there's always going to be variants. They're human beings, and uh, even pop stars. I mean, they're all artists. Um, but overall the approach is different, definitely different. Right. Was it, 
Can you kind of contrast that with when with your experience working with um, Ms. Lauren Hill? What are some of the similarities or differences? Same exact thing. Um, you know, obviously, very different artists. Uh, one of the biggest things connecting all artists on that level, you're talking about personalities. Um, and these artists are very particular in their own ways. You know, they, they each have their own idiosyncrasies. They each have their their quirks, you know. Um, they're artists, and, and, and that's why we love them, and that's what makes them great. Um, you know, so really looking at two artists on a very high level with very distinguishable personalities, but, you know, in terms of the preparation... I saw those Lauren Hill sound checks. Uh, very, very thorough, super thorough sound checks to the point where sometimes, you know, the sound check went way over time and you would have a line of people waiting outside, waiting for her to open the doors. But she, as an artist, has to get it right. I remember watching, because I worked seven or eight Lauren Hill shows throughout New York City over the course of two months. And... They were at three different venues, and in all of those cases, I you know I had a lot of time to really watch her over the course of two months and really see how she worked. And aside from rehearsal, even during the show, it never stopped. You know, in terms of like every thirty seconds, trying to communicate, looking over to the soundboard. Based, you know, asking for what she needed, uh, almost, you know, to a fault, <laughs> almost overkill. But as an artist, she felt that that's what she needed. It's that strive for perfection um, across the board. Wow. And would you say, as the person uh, doing PR for both of these artists, would you say your experience? interacting with them or whoever your contact with them was, was relatively the same or was it different? Uh, different. I mean, it's always going to be different in certain cases. There are things that uh, remain true across the board. These artists have teams. These artists have entourages. These artists, um, you know, are very particular. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was very, very similar. I mean, overall positive experiences for sure definitely well i want to sort of uh transition here a little bit to maybe start to wrap up our conversation although i i could literally hear you talk about these things all day <laughs> me too <laughs> very interesting <laughs> um one thing that i was kind of curious about is and we this is kind of maybe a good way to summarize some of the things we've talked about you started by describing sort of the traditional approach to a, a PR campaign, and we touched a little bit on some unusual approaches, U2 and Jay-Z, ways of leveraging technology, really, in how things are done now. I'm kind of curious to hear your take on, with all these changes, with, with all the new apps that are coming out for artists to connect with fans, for artists to market themselves, is the role of the independent publicists becoming somewhat obsolete or would you actually argue it's more important than ever? What I'd love to hear you talk about that. I'd say it's a mixture of both. 
for sure. It's, it's definitely a mixture of both. Um, well, based on a lot of these changes and changes in the media, you know, let's be honest. When you're hiring someone to operate on your behalf in any business situation, uh, usually there's an end goal that sparks a result. You know, if you ha- hire an adver- advertising firm to place ads for you, um, or or create ads for you and then place them, um, you know, you're expecting some return on net investment based on those advertising uh, components generating consumer action. Um, if you're hiring a booking agent, you know, you're working with a booking agent. That booking agent's job is to get you work to get you engagements and generate revenue and it's it's pretty clear cut in certain cases um it's never clear cut but i mean you know in in that particular case if you're looking at how many engagements were booked you know what was the revenue there are always factors but that's very black and white as a publicist there are a couple different layers to this because you're talking about a situation where um, the goal is to generate press, right? The goal is to gener- generate awareness and drive greater interest in the general population. Um, and usually, you know, if you're talking about media relations, that is based on, uh, you know, what what did you place in the media? Did you, what features did you get? What radio interviews did you get? Etc. Uh, and that's a, 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 a metric to a certain degree uh, that's hard to define. I mean, yes, what you place is what you place, but uh, it's not as black and white. Um, but beyond that, if and when you do meet those first tier of goals in terms of I placed a feature in this outlet, I placed an interview in this outlet, I got an exclusive for this video in this outlet – uh, what's the next level of return, you know, for sparking action? Uh, you can get an interview on NPR. Well, that's a bad example because NPR generally always leads to some sales <laughs> uh, for products um, or albums, rather. Um, but you can get a feature or, or you could get a review uh, in a certain daily uh, newspaper. You could get uh, an online Q&A with another outlet. Um, and that meets the first tier of uh, a certain goal. Then the second goal is, does it actually sell anything for you? To, meaning, does it sell tickets to your show? Does it sell ticket, uh, does it, does it sell downloads? Does it spark you to stream the, the, uh, the, the album on Spotify, iTunes? That's much harder to quantify. Uh, And in many cases, um, in many, many cases, that just doesn't exist now for many artists. If you're a bigger artist, it's a little bit more straightforward to track, but even then it's harder to track. Um, But for, for artists in general, it's very debatable in terms of whether that media really sparks the core action for which you're being hired. Um, 
so on that level, it's 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 actually somewhat disturbing in terms of the role of a publicist in 2015 as it relates to you know do they have a place or do they not have a place. Um, on another component, it's super valuable because you know for for certain artists um, you know that are just starting out. Um, I mean, it could be a situation where, yeah, you you hire an independent publicist, they only get one hit. Uh, it's hard to necessarily say, you know, I spent this amount of money and I only got one piece of media. That's not how it works. But let's say the only thing that got you was a Q&A in an important magazine. Uh, that really means something because... Yeah, maybe it doesn't necessarily sell albums for you or drive ticket sales, but it's still currency in that you can leverage that editorial and that media for other opportunities. So, you know, there at least in music, there is a mindset uh, on, on the booking center. I'm sure you would agree with this. I mean, if there is an artist that is getting substantial national press, uh, they might not be selling records, uh, but that might spark greater interest from the buyer to say, okay, you know, this person's out there. So in that respect, PR is about awareness, uh, and that is super important. And if it's done strategically based on where you're at and where your goals are, uh, PR can be a, is still an exceedingly valuable tool. Um and again, this is all in music, but you know that's kind of how I see it. Um, so there are different degrees of return on investment, accountability, uh, the role it plays, um, and, and whether or not you should hire a publicist or not. Right, right. Well, you made some really great points there, and I can relate it to my experience if I'm working with an artist who doesn't have much awareness, there isn't much awareness on them out there. There's not much current press. Maybe there's no press. Obviously, the job's going to be a lot harder. If I'm working with an artist that, let's just say, for the case of, for the sake of this argument, that they do have a uh, publicist, and the publicist is getting <clears throat> pieces in, you know, significant places. Maybe they got them on NPR, like a Tiny Dust concert or something like that, or even just a big review. Our ability then to leverage those tangible, you know, plugs makes our job infinitely easier. So, you know, it's interesting when you say that um, it's very hard to sort of quantify the awareness that you're getting, because um, I agree, it, it, it's it's very hard to quantify that. But in, to, just to the idea that why would I need a publicist today when, you know, maybe I could, maybe I don't really need one. I mean, I'm, I'm inclined to think that um, it is almost more important than ever because, again, to have that ability as an artist to really leverage prime places where people's attention are going or are driven makes it easier in the long run. Um and, you know, it's been really great throughout my career when, whenever you and I have had the chance to work together. It's a lot easier to be a booking agent. <laughs> Thanks. 
appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. And, and you make all good points. I mean, these are all great points. I mean, now that we're really, like, diving into this topic, I mean, if anything, it's not necessarily, you know, whether or not that you should engage a publicist or do I need to. I mean, all PR is good and awareness is good. Um the real question is, how are you going to engage a publicist? Because if you're going into a publicist uh, relationship and you are looking at it from in very traditional sense, like I want, you know, these outlets because I want these outlets. I don't have a history. I don't have a tour, etc. Um, a lot of it's based on your expectations. I mean, first and foremost, the biggest thing is expectations. Campaigns are successful uh, as long as the clients are happy. You know, um, if if goals are met, not everyone is going to get an interview or have the goal of getting an interview on NPR, all things considered, uh, or Fresh Air, or uh, getting on local television. It varies depending on where you're at. Um, so... You know, if you know, you really judge the value of PR based on if you have certain uh, if if you want to get the word out there about what you're doing, uh, and you work with a publicist, and you put the trust in the publicist to tell you what are very specific. I'm not even talking about having the publicist say, "Oh, you know, we're going to reach out to all the media," because if a publicist says that or keeps it in very broad general terms, they really don't know what they're doing. Um, you know, the, the, you really, if if you want to work with a really good publicist, that really good publicist will specifically say, okay, for you, if we can get an interview on this particular radio station, if we could get a, a, an online Q&A with this particular outlet, if they really define it and base it on measurables, based on you know the client trusting the publicist, what they feel would be best to progress that client's career in any way, and this is on the highest or lowest level, um, music or non-music, um, that's where PR is valuable. You know, PR is always going to be valuable. So I look at it really in the sense of how are you how are you working with the publicist and how are you using the publicist? Um, and and there are much more productive ways to work with publicists than other ways, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I think this might be a good point to sort of um, wrap up our conversation. I mean, it's it's been really great. Speaking with you, Jordy, I I can't thank you enough for your time, and uh, I'm 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 I have no doubt that you touched on a lot of valuable things for people listening. So thank you for that. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely, it was great to talk, and look forward to being in touch. You got it. Sounds good. Alrighty, take care. <laughs>